6 a.m. on the West Coast, 9 a.m. on the East Coast of America, 2 p.m. in London Town, 7.30 in Mumbai, India, it is 11 o'clock at night in Kyoto, Japan, and in Malaysia, it's 1999. Party time. <laughs> I'm Jay Sheldon. I'm not wearing pants. Hello. <laughs> I'm really not. I really, I have never worn pants on this show. We've done 137 episodes after tonight. And I'm not, still not wearing pants. I refuse. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, hey, by the way, right off the bat, if I miss any of your chats, I apologize. The software I'm using for streaming puts me out. It's brilliant. It works great. It gets me on four different live platforms at the same time. And it has, it's mainly Twitch, but of course, we're also Facebook Live, YouTube Live, and Rumble.com. The Jay Sheldon channel over there, we're live. And uh, so I can see Twitch chats, and I can actually reply to them here in the software. Or we have a chat window called Multistream, and that shows me all the chats across all the platforms, but I can't reply. So I keep it on Multistream. I noticed, for example, on Facebook, Stephen, you sent me a message in our last stream. I didn't even know it was there until after the show when I was checking out all the feeds. So if I miss your chat, I'm sorry. It's supposed to be showing up down over here. It's supposed to come up live, but sometimes it works and sometimes it don't work. So there you go. What do you, what do you want? Uh, we are also a live, uh, not a live, we are a recorded podcast, audio only. You will find us on all the podcast platforms, <clears throat> Spotify, Stitcher, Radio Public, uh, iTunes, uh, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast. Subscribe over there if you'd like. We do the same show. It's just the audio part, which you may be listening to right now. Um, and... Uh, if you'd like to see, if you're listening to the podcast, you want to watch the video version, because a lot of the stuff we do is visual, uh, you can go to rumble.com or Facebook, YouTube, subscribe over there. It's all free, and you can check out the video part. Keep listening to the podcast, but if there's a part that really interests you, you can always go over and check it out. I'll usually give you a time code of when you can, because you don't have to sit and watch the whole show. You likely already heard it, so you can just move up to that part where you're interested in. Yeah, it's, it's not about the clicks. I just want to share the stuff with you. So, All right. Anyway, yeah, it is... Uh, it's Wednesday, huh? Yeah. We're almost halfway through this month. Dang. November's almost half over. Can you imagine? Wow. All right. Well, it's time to keep you up to date on You Know Who. Miko update. Miki, Miki, Miko. Miki, Miki, Miko. Miko update. She's great. She's fantastic. She's a holy terror. She's a little turd. She drives me crazy and I love her to bits. And this morning, this was her. <laughs> I, you gotta zoom in 
which I can't do on this Facebook post. This is my Facebook page. Uh, but she, it's, this is our kitchen. <clears throat> and I was making, what was I doing? No, I was having a biscuit and some coffee standing at the, the counter. And she has this face she puts on, which is my, Dad, can I have some face? And it is a killer. It gets me every time. So there she is with her dad. Can I please have some? She, there's even wrinkles in her eyebrows. She's like, you know, she's got her eyebrows going like that. So yeah, she <laughs> she has this killer dad. Can I have some face that you just cannot resist? And of course, so I didn't. She 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 got some of what I was eating. I'm very careful about that because you know. She just got out of the hospital. She's got some stomach problems, so we have to be really, really careful about what we give her for food. In fact, we've been very good lately about not giving her food from the table. So, I mean, our food. So anyway, um, yeah, but she's doing great. Thank you for asking. I know you didn't ask, but you get it anyway. It's the start of every show. All right, I got a whole bunch of junk tonight. Not a whole lot of stuff topics but but it just it's a weird when i was trying to pick one out <clears throat> for the for the thumbnail for the show for a title i everyone was more weird than the other one and i just couldn't i finally just settled on the namui uh, story uh i'll tell you more about that in a minute none of them are particularly controversial but i want to i'll start off with the one that kind of is and this is a really frightening post a uh, dear friend dennis uh, andrews who posts some really cool stuff he uh, he put this up it's a public post on his facebook it was originally done by Sherilyn benson hunt and it is a weird picture uh see if you can figure out what this picture is can you figure that out well that little thing right there that is a bulldozer that's sand and dirt. And all these white things lined up. Imagine now, here's the size of the bulldozer. You know what these are? Windmill blades used for green energy. Why are they burying the windmill blades? Well, it's because these blades need to be disposed of. And presently, there is no way to recycle them. That's how green energy works. Look, I'm all for saving the planet. I told you my opinion of climate change or whatever they're calling it these days. But this is stupid. This is what we're doing with windmill blades when they become defective or worn out. We're burying them in the earth. You need to find a better way, folks. This ain't it. That's scary sad. Very scary sad. <clears throat> Weird. All right. I keep pronouncing this guy's name wrong, and I shouldn't, but I do. And it is an amazing story. It just popped yesterday. Uh, there's a whole bunch of different stories I've got the link to this in my show notes, so if you want to read the whole article, please do. And it's from uh, soyachinchow.com. 
But again, if you just put the info into a search bar, you'll find it because it was a huge story yesterday and it has to do with this guy. Malaysian rapper Namawi sold NFTs worth over 4 million ringgit. Now the exchange rate, I don't know what it is today. It's, it used USD to ringgit was one, uh, one to 4.2 or something. One side or the other of four ringgit 20 sen was worth one USD. It's likely, I don't know, the USD has suffered a bit. Let's go, Brandon. And uh, the ringgit has suffered too, so it, it might have balanced it. Anyway, this is about a million bucks in USD. Um, he did that by selling NFTs. Now, uh, this is uh, Namui over here. Uh, hang on, let me get my mouse back. Okay, obviously, this is not me. Uh, I am not a cryptocurrency guy. I will straight up tell you, I don't know jack squat about cryptocurrency, bitcoins, even the dog coin, which has the Shiba Inu uh, thing. Uh, but I got a little bit of an education here because an NFT is a non-fungible token, whatever that means. Malaysian rapper Namui became an overnight millionaire after releasing his song Fragile as a non-fungible token. Taiwan News reported the song had earned him 209 Ethereum, ETH. That is around uh, 27 million uh, I assume that's the Taiwan dollar or 4 million plus ringgit within three hours of its launch. Three hours. He launches this thing as a fragile, as an, and it's an NFT. And three hours later, he's got over 4 million ringgit. Unbelievable. The song is a collaboration between him, his real name is Wee Meng Chi, and Australian singer Kimberly Chen. And after the release, <laughs> China banned Wee and Chen's Weibo accounts and removed the song as it deemed it an insult to the Chinese. The thing with uh, Wee, Meng Ching, Wee Meng Chi rather, is that he has made a career out of being controversial. People try and stop him, people try and censor him, and he just keeps on creating cool stuff. I personally love this guy. I love anybody who gets in your face and who gets in the face of censors or people that try and censor you and just says, you know what, to you, good old double-barreled middle finger to anybody who tries to get in his way or tries to censor it because he just finds ways around it. This is the uh, video for the song. The song continues to gain in popularity with the tune being played more than 10 million times in a week. Most views coming from Taiwan, followed by Hong Kong and, of course, Malaysia, which is where he is actually originally from. Although... He keeps getting crap in this country, so he said, you know what? 
like so many do, to hell with you. I'll make money somewhere else. And he does, big time. Uh, talking to his Facebook, Namui said he released 99 NFTs of Fragile on the platform OpenSea. And all minted units had sold out in three hours. He reportedly said, I am overwhelmed at becoming a millionaire overnight. Congratulations to you. He's from Moir here in, in Malaysia. He's a native of Moir. Revealed he also produced a song dedicated specifically to NFTs called Go NFT. Deleted all the related original music documents to ensure the uniqueness of the virtual items. The NFT of Go NFT is now available for purchase on OpenSea. And he promised that he would not convert virtual currencies into real money, no matter how much he earns. And he will release more NFTs in a couple days, November 12th. Uh, according to a Singaporean portal, today, Fragile was banned as it contains jabs at Chinese President Xi Jinping and touches on sensitive topics like COVID-19, censorship, cancel culture, and the Uyghurs. This is right up Namoe's alley. This is what he does. He just gets in your face and calls it like he sees it. And I love him for it. Uh, one line mentions a love for dogs, cats, bats, and civets, which apparently alludes to the pandemic. Another goes, it's illegal to breach the firewall. You'll be missed if the Pooh discovers it, is a dig at the Chinese leader who's been likened to Winnie the Pooh by social media. But congratulations, in spite of what you may think, this man does an amazing job. He's an incredible artist. He's a cool guy too, by the way. I have met him in person. He's, he's a great, great guy. And uh, the fact that he just gets in your face doesn't put up with any censorship or crap and finds ways around it. We love him to death. Congratulations and wow. So, you know, I'm thinking now, I have this show. Each one is unique. I put this out there three days a week. I've been doing it for almost a year now. This is our 137th show. If you know anything about NFTs and crypto, can you contact me, please? Because, I mean, for like, you know, maybe, I mean, he just did one song. He got four million ringgit, like a million USD. I'm thinking, you know, I could release all 137 and, and I'd only look for maybe like five million. So if you know anyone or you yourself knows anything about NFTs, let's, you and me, let's, let's talk, okay? You can email me, nopants at jsheldon.com uh, and, and we'll talk. There'd be, of course, a percentage cut in it for you. But I'd be happy to sell the rights away and, and delete all but one copy of, of the show for, you know, 137 shows. No problem. I, like I said, I don't know jack squat about NFTs or crypto anything. In fact, <laughs> an embarrassing funny story. A good, good dear friend, a colleague of mine, had... Uh, bitcoins. This was probably two years ago. 
when the Bitcoin was around 20,000 USD and everything I read in the headlines said, that's it, it's going to tank. And so we were having a discussion about his Bitcoins and I said, you know, might not be a bad idea to sell those things. It would be at a healthy profit because he got them when they were relatively cheap. So he did. I haven't checked lately, but the last thing I heard, Bitcoins were around 50,000 USD. Sorry, you shouldn't have listened to me. I told you up front, I don't know squat about Bitcoins. Oh, man. Actually, you know what? I should look that up. Bitcoin value. Let's see what it says. Oh, my God. <laughs> it is currently one Bitcoin is worth 286,000 ringgit. I'm sorry, A-man. Hey, Amethyst, <laughs> welcome. Uh, Luna Amethyst jumping in on the show. Finally, I can see your chat. Thank goodness. Thanks for the like on my Tatiana picture. You're entirely welcome. Taking a small break from Tati for a bit. All right, Luna. It's good to see you in here tonight. Thanks for jumping in. Yeah, the Bitcoin is now worth 286,000 ringgit for one. Luna hard swallow. Wow. That's a lot. Oh man. <laughs> All right. Uh, you've been, you've been Tatiana for two uh, cons in a row. Well, you should be really good at it by now, but your Tatiana is very cool, but yeah, maybe try another character. Uh, daytime savings messed up showing up last time. Ah, no problem. It, it, it's messed me up too. Even in the beginning of the show where I do the time around the world, it's like, it feels weird doing it because I did so many shows for so many months. It always was the same time. Mm. By the way, Miko merchandise available now, twitch.tv slash jsheldonnopants. You can check out all our merchandise over there, t-shirts, hats, mugs, all kinds of cool stuff. All right. And now switching gears, I got to celebrate this amazing kid. This guy is beyond words. I'll tell you the story. You look at the pictures. The most deserved belt in history was given to Bridget Walker, the little boy who saved his sister from a German shepherd dog. He had 90 stitches, nine zero, 90 stitches all over his body, but he saved his three-year-old sister from certain death. He had this to say, if anybody has to die, it would be me. I'm the big brother. It's amazing. This little guy dove in to fight off a German shepherd that was attacking his little three-year-old sister. Wound up, take a look at that first shot there. This is the aftermath when he's recovering and he actually is scarred even today. But I mean, that's cool in, in and of itself and such a great story. But now check this out. The World Boxing Council, 94 WBC, has recognized him as a full-time 
world champion. He has the official WBC historical record for being the best fighter in the world for one day. Total respect. Total respect. Look at this kid. Saved. There's his little three-year-old sister that he saved from an attack by this German shepherd. And that is just the coolest thing. If you want to see the pictures up close and check out the story, you can go to my uh, show notes. It's down below. And uh, the link is in those show notes. That is such an amazing story. Wow. Had to share that tonight. Brilliant. Makes you proud. Somebody raised their kid right. All right. Uh, This is a rather sad story, but I wanted to share it because I wanted to get the publicity out there. Uh, See perhaps if there wasn't somebody in the audience who might be able to help in one way or another, even in some small way. The story comes to us from World of Buzz. It'll be in the show notes. Please, if you click on no other link in our show notes, click on this one. Read the whole story uh, from World of Buzz. An underprivileged, paralyzed Malaysian teenager has only one wish before she dies, and that is to ride on a train. A teenage girl from Kampong Bakar Bata in Perak is hoping to experience riding on a train before she passes. 17 years old, she's bedridden after she was paralyzed when her spine was crushed by a concrete wall seven years ago. According to a report by Cosmo, her desire to ride a train since she was young is still there. It still exists. And since she was a child, she was excited to see trains going back and forth on the tracks near her house. And every day she always kept that desire to ride on a train. And one day when she grew up, um, the dream hasn't been achieved because when she was 10, she was involved in an accident that hit a concrete wall and she has had to abandon that dream. It's such a simple, simple dream. Hey, KTM, are you out there? Are you listening? You need to do something. As a result of the accident, her spine was destroyed. She had been suffering from a permanent disability as her kidneys were damaged, intestines no longer function. She doesn't have a sense of touch from the waist down. Lost the joy in life, she says, since the incident. But before I die, I want to fulfill this dream. And uh, her mom, Fatima Hashim, says she really wants to fulfill her, her daughter's wish. Um, Limited abilities, difficult uh, single mother uh, faces, and it's rather an obstacle. Uh, $500 monthly assistance they get really doesn't cover it. Basically not even enough to meet their needs. If you would like, uh, there is information here on how you can help. And I truly, truly hope that you can. If you're listening and you're not in Malaysia, let's say you're in the U.S., A very small amount of money donated in U.S. would be multiplied by four when it gets here and turned into ringgit. So keep the hundred bucks you might give, turns into 400 plus ringgit. Um, Any amount, 10 bucks becomes 40 something. Uh, In the article, I'm not going to repeat that because you won't be writing it down anyway. But there is a bank 
Simpanan National account. And also, uh, there is a phone number there where you can get a hold of Fatima, her, her mom, and uh, make whatever arrangements you want to. So please, as I said before, if you click on no other link in our show notes tonight, please click on this one from World of Buzz. Check, scroll down through and check out that information and make Aziana's wish come true. I will be doing that and I hope that you will too. Uh, an amazing story. And such a simple dream. She just simply wants, for once, to ride a train. Okay, like I said, KTM, I hope you're listening. It wouldn't take much for you guys. Hmm? We're watching. All right, speaking of teaching your kids to do the right thing, I love this story. When the garbage men come by, the trash collectors, I always say hi. Hey, thank you. There are some people, sadly, who look at those folks who collect our junk, our tossed off, stinking, slimy garbage every week, usually more than once a week. Uh, treat them like second-class citizens, which they are not. They deserve every bit of respect, whatever their job is. And this one touched my heart. Again, it is uh, World of Buzz. Check it out. Link in the show notes. Malaysian parents teach their child to be kind to garbage collector. Netizens full of praise. Nice to see parents watch their child, uh, teach their child to appreciate these hard workers. There's a picture here of mom and her little kid. Kid looks to be maybe what, maybe like three. And uh, there is the trash collector. And uh, it looks like she's handing him a mask or something. We often overlook and don't give enough credit or appreciate our garbage collectors and food delivery riders. That's another thing. All those food riders keep us fed, keep our deliveries going. Uh, garbage collectors essential in helping maintain the cleanliness and hygiene of our surroundings. And there was this TikTok, which showed us why it's important to thank and appreciate sanitation workers. Uh, uploaded a video where the couple was seen teaching their toddler to show appreciation to sanitary workers. Absolutely brilliant. The garbage truck pulled up in front of the house. The toddler accompanied his parents, strolled to the front of the house. Oh, and handed several drink packets to the workers. Uh, the worker all smiles. The toddler approached him with a drink packet in hand. And the parents said, give it to uncle. And they guided the toddler towards him. After he handed the garbage collector the drink packets, the boy's father also encouraged the toddler to say thank you and wave goodbye at the worker before going back inside. Wow. Yeah. 148,000 views, 11,800 likes on TikTok when this article was written. The netizens were full of praise for educating, for, to the parents, of course, for educating their child to be kind to the garbage worker. And yes, indeed, a huge hat tip to these amazing mom and dads here who are teaching their kid to respect people, all people, 
from any walk of life, no matter what you do for a living. This warms my heart. This is so cool. Love that story. Love it. All right. From the sublime to the ridiculous. You ready? <laughs> this is great. Did you ever put a note in a bottle, throw it in the ocean? I have, I actually did do that. I have a, me I cannot remember the details, but I absolutely have a memory of doing that. Maybe one day. <laughs> this actually comes from the place that I lived before I moved to Malaysia. I was in Key West, Big Pine Key, and then Key West uh, for a long time, about five years. But uh, found in Florida, one of the owners of a hotel, Judy, walking on the beach, uh, cleaning up junk that had washed onto the shore, and found a bottle with a message in it, and also some sand and two $1 bills. Well, once they got it open, they read the note and found out that it wasn't sand. It was the ashes of some woman's husband. 70 years named Gordon. She writes that she loved, he loved to travel, so she sent him traveling in a bottle with a note and a little money for someone to call home and tell her where he landed. He started at Big Pine Key. I used to live on Big Pine Key in March of 2012. Someone then found the bottle in Isla Mirada, a little further up the chain of islands in the Florida Keys. And uh, they added a note and sent him traveling again. He landed at their beach in Key Colony. And uh, Judy called the wife in Tennessee, who was excited to know of Gordon's travels. And Judy added her own note, and she put him in a new bottle, a rum bottle. She said, you know, I added a little fun to his trip. And she added three more notes. Uh, she added another dollar in case Gordon travels far and long-distance calls are needed. And uh, they're going to have a memorial service or in celebration of his life on the beach later today, sending him on his way again out into the ocean. <laughs> what a great trip this guy is having. Sadly, he's in ash form, but... Uh, a <laughs> great story out of uh, the Florida Keys. <laughs> That's fantastic. Oh, man. Well, <laughs> okay. Uh, we got a new book, folks. Tonight, we are starting a brand new book. Hang on, coffee break time. And uh, it may seem a little early, but if you saw our last stream... We checked the Christmas clock, and it's only six weeks until Christmas. Six weeks and a couple days. And then, Merry freaking Christmas and a ho, 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 it's Christmas in six weeks. Unbelievable. So, uh, yeah, we are going to start a Christmas carol beginning tonight. <laughs> um, we've got a brand new book. This comes to us from Gutenberg.org, the Gutenberg Project. And uh, this is an original. All the classic books are there if you want to check them out. And um, we've read a whole bunch of different ones. The Little Prince, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, The Velveteen Rabbit, Alice in Wonderland, Peter Pan. We just finished H.G. Uh, Wells' The War of the Worlds last stream. 
And so because I think our timing will work, this will come out just as we hit Christmas. We're going to do Charles Dickens' original Christmas Carol. These illustrations that you'll be seeing are George Alfred Williams' work. All of this is in the public domain. And uh, yeah, it's an amazing story if you haven't heard it or seen it in one form or another. It is there and uh, it's brilliantly written too. Uh, only five chapters in this book. But uh, so we start out with Marley's ghost, the first of the three spirits, the second of the three spirits and the last of the spirits. And then finally, chapter five, the end of it. Uh, the fronts piece, which you're looking at right now over here, there, <laughs> there, is, uh, is, uh, he had been Tim's blood horse all the way from church. All right. A Christmas Carol in prose, beginning a ghost story of Christmas. Stav one, Marley's ghost. Marley was dead to begin with. There is no doubt whatever about that. The register of his burial was signed by the clergyman, the clerk, the undertaker, and the chief mourner. Scrooge signed it, and Scrooge's name was good upon change for anything he chose to put his hand to. Old Marley was as dead as a doornail. Mind, I don't mean to say that I know, of my own knowledge, what there is particularly dead about a doornail. I might have been inclined myself to regard a coffin nail as the deadest piece of ironmongery in the trade, but the wisdom of our ancestors is in the simile, and my unhallowed hands shall not disturb it, or the country's done for. You will, therefore, permit me to repeat emphatically that Marley was as dead as a doornail. Scrooge knew he was dead. Of course he did. How could it be otherwise? Scrooge and his partners for I don't know how many years, Scrooge was his sole executor, executor, his sole administrator, his sole assigned his sole residuary litigee, and his sole friend, and sole mourner. And even Scrooge was not so dreadfully cut up by the sad event, but that he was an excellent man of business on every day of the funeral, the very day of the funeral, and solemnized it with an undoubted bargain. The mention of Marley's funeral brings me back to the point I started from. There is no doubt that Marley was dead. This must be distinctly understood, or nothing wonderful can come of the story I'm about to relate. If we were not perfectly convinced that Hamlet's father died before the play began, there would be nothing more remarkable in his taking a stroll at night in an easterly wind upon his own ramparts than there would be in any other middle-aged gentleman rashly turning out after dark on a breezy spot. Say, St. Paul's Churchyard, for instance, literally to astonish his son's weak mind. 
Scrooge never painted out old Marley's name. There it stood, years afterwards, above the warehouse door. Scrooge and Marley. The firm was known as Scrooge and Marley. Sometimes people new to the business called Scrooge Scrooge, and sometimes Marley. But he answered to both names. It was all the same to him. Oh, but he was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone. Scrooge, a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sitter, hard and sharp as a flint, from which no steel had ever struck out generous fire. Secret, self-contained, solitary as an oyster, the cold within him froze his old features, nipped his pointed nose, shriveled his cheek, stiffened his gait, made his eyes red, his thin lips blue, and spoke out shrewdly in his grating voice. A frosty rhyme was on his head and on his eyebrows, and his wiry chin. He carried his own low temperature always about with him. He iced his office in the dog days and didn't thaw one degree at Christmas. External heat and cold had little influence on Scrooge. No warmth could warm, no wintry weather chill him, no wind that blew was bitterer than he, no falling snow was more intent upon its purpose, no pelting rain less open to entreaty. Foul weather didn't know where to have him. The heaviest rain and snow and hail and sleet could boast of the advantage over him in only one respect. They often came down handsomely, and Scrooge never did. Nobody ever stopped him in the street to say with gladsome looks, My dear Mr. Scrooge, how are you? When will you come to see me? No beggars implored him to bestow a trifle. No children asked him what it was o'clock. No man or woman ever once in all his life inquired the way to such and such a place of Scrooge. Even the blind men's dogs appeared to know him. And when they saw him coming on, would tug their owner into doorways and up courts, and then would wag their tails as though they were saying, No eye at all is better than an evil eye, dark master. But what did Scrooge care? It was the very thing he liked, to edge his way along crowded paths of life, warning all human sympathy to keep its distance. What was the knowing ones called nuts to Scrooge? Once upon a time, of all the good days in the year, on Christmas Eve, old Scrooge sat busy in his counting house. It was cold, bleak, biting weather, foggy withal, and he could hear the people in the court outside go wheezing up and down, beating their hands upon their breasts and stamping their feet upon the pavement to, to warm them. The city clocks had only just gone three, but it was quite dark already. It had not been light all day, and candles were flaring in the windows of the neighboring offices, like ruddy smears upon the palpable brown air. 
The fog came pouring in at every chink and keyhole and was so dense without that. Although the court was of the narrowest, the houses opposite were mere phantoms. To see the dingy cloud come drooping down, obscuring everything, one might have thought that nature lived hard by and was brewing on a large scale. The door of Scrooge's counting-house was open, that he might keep an eye upon his clerk, who, in a little dismal cell beyond, a sort of tank, really, was copying letters. Scrooge had a very small fire, but the clerk's fire was so very much smaller that it looked like one coal. But he couldn't replenish it, for Scrooge kept the coal box in his own room. And so surely as the clerk came in with a shovel, the master predicted that it would be necessary for them to part. Wherefore, the clerk put on his white comforter and tried to warm himself at the candle, an effort which, not being a man with a strong imagination, he failed. A Merry Christmas, Uncle. God save you, cried a cheerful voice. It was the voice of Scrooge's nephew who came upon him so quickly that this was the first intimidation he had of his approach. Bah, said Scrooge. Humbug. He had so heated himself with rapid walking in the fog and frost, the nephew of Scrooge, that he was all aglow. His face was ruddy and handsome. His eyes sparkled. His breath smoked again. Christmas a humbug, Uncle, said Scrooge's nephew. I, I don't mean, you don't mean that, I'm sure. I do, said Scrooge. Merry Christmas. What have you right to be merry? What reason have you to be merry? You're poor enough. Come on, then, returned the nephew gaily. What right have you to be dismal? What reason have you to be morose? You're rich enough. Scrooge, having no better answer ready on the spot of the moment, said, Bah! again, and followed it up with another humbug. Oh, don't be cross, uncle, said the nephew. What else can I be, returned the uncle. When I live in such a world of fools, such as this. Merry Christmas. Out upon Merry Christmas. What's Christmas time to you but a time for paying bills without money? A time for fun finding yourself a year older, not an hour richer. A time for balancing your books and having every item in them through a round dozen of months presented dead against you. If I could work my will, said Screw indignant, indignantly, every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled with his own pudding and buried with a stake of holly through his heart. He should. Uncle, pleaded the nephew. Nephew, sternly replied the uncle. Keep Christmas in your own way, and let me keep it in mine. Keep it, repeated Scrooge's nephew. But you don't keep it. 
Let me leave it alone, then, said Scrooge. Much good it may do you, much good it's ever done you. There are many things from which I might have deprived good, by which I have not profited, I dare say, returned the nephew. Christmas among the rest. But I am sure I have always thought of Christmas time, when it has come round, apart from the veneration due to its sacred name and origin. If anything belonging to it can be apart from that as a good time, a kind, forgiving, charitable, pleasant time, the only time I know of in the long calendar of the year, when men and women seem by one consent to open their shut-up hearts freely and to think of people below them as if they were really fellow passengers to the grave and not another race of creature bound on other journeys. And therefore, uncle, though it has never put a scrap of gold or silver in my pocket, I believe that it has done me good and will do me good. And I say, God bless it. The clerk in the tank involuntarily applauded. Becoming immediately sensible of the impropriety, he poked the fire and extinguished the last frail spark forever. Let me hear another sound from you, said Scrooge, and you'll keep your Christmas by losing your situation. You're quite a powerful speaker, sir, he added, turning to his nephew. I wonder why you don't go into Parliament. Oh, don't be angry, Uncle. Come, dine with us tomorrow. Scrooge said that he would see him. Yes, indeed he did. He went the whole length of the expression and said that he would see him in that extremity first. But why, cried Scrooge's nephew, why? Why did you get married, said Scrooge? Because I fell in love. Because you fell in love, growled Scrooge, as if it were the only thing in the world more ridiculous than a Merry Christmas. Good afternoon. Nay, uncle, but you never came to see me before that happened. Why give it as a reason for not coming now? Good afternoon, said Scrooge. I want nothing from you. I only ask of you, why can we not be friends? Good afternoon, said Scrooge. I am sorry with all my heart to find you so resolute. We've never had any quarrel to which I have been a party, but I have made the trial in homage to Christmas, and I'll keep my Christmas humor to the last. So, a Merry Christmas, Uncle. Good afternoon, said Scrooge, and a happy new year. Good afternoon, said Scrooge. His nephew left the room without an angry word notwithstanding. He stopped at the outer door to bestow the greetings of the season on the clerk, who, cold as he was, was warmer than Scrooge, for he returned them cordially. There's another fellow muttered Scrooge, who had overheard him. My clerk, fifteen shillings a week, and a family and a wife, talking about Merry Christmas. I'll retire to Bedlam. This lunatic, 
in letting Scrooge's nephew out, had let two other people in. They were portly gentlemen, pleasant to behold, and now stood with their hats off in Scrooge's office. They had books and papers in their hands, and they bowed to him. Scrooge and Marley's, I believe, said one of the gentlemen, referring to his list. Have I the pleasure of addressing Mr. Scrooge or Mr. Marley? Mr. Mr. Marley's been dead for seven years, Scrooge replied. He died seven years ago this very night. Well, we have no doubt his uh, liberality is well representative by his surviving partner said the gentleman, pressing his credentials. It certainly was, for they had been two kindred spirits. At the ominous word liberality, Scrooge frowned and shook his head and handed the credentials back. At this festive season of the year, Mr. Scrooge, said the gentleman, taking up a pen, it is more than usually desirable that we should make some slight provision for the poor and destitute, who greatly suffer at present time. Many thousands are in want of common necessities. Hundreds of thousands are in want of common comfort, sir. Are there no prisons? asked Scrooge. Oh, plenty of prisons, said the gentleman, laying down the pen again. And the union workhouses? demanded Scrooge. Are they still in operation? They are still returned the gentleman. I, I wish I could say that they were not. The treadmill and the poor law are in full vigor, then, said Scrooge. Oh, both very busy, sir. Ho! Oh, I was afraid, from what you said at first, that something had occurred to stop them in their useful course, said Scrooge. I'm very glad to hear it. Under the impression that they scarcely furnish Christian cheer of mind or body to the multitude, returned the gentleman, a few of us are endeavoring to raise a fund to buy the poor some meat and drink and means of warmth. We chose this time because it is a time for all others, when want is keenly felt and ab abundance rejoices. What shall I put you down for? Nothing. Scrooge replied. You wish to be anonymous? I wish to be left alone, said Scrooge. Since you asked me what I wish, gentlemen, that is my answer. I don't make merry myself at Christmas, and I can't afford to make idle people merry. I help to support the establishments I've mentioned. They cost enough, and those who are badly off must go there. Oh, many can't go there, and many would rather die. If they'd rather die, said Scrooge, then they'd better do it. Decrease the surplus population. Besides, excuse me, I don't know that. But you might know it, observed the gentleman. It's not my business, Scrooge returned. It's enough for a man to understand his own business and not interfere with other people's. Mine occupies me constantly. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Seeing clearly it would be useless to pursue this point, the gentleman withdrew. Scrooge resumed his labors and an impressive opinion of himself. 
and a more fastidious temper than was usual with him. Meanwhile, the fog and the darkness thickened so that people ran around with flaring links, proffering their services to go before horses and carriages and conduct them on their way. The ancient tower of a church, whose gruff old bell was always peeping slily down at Scrooge out of a gothic window in the wall, became invisible and struck the hours and quarters in the clouds with tumultuous vibrations afterward, as if teeth were chattering in its frozen head up there. The cold became intense. In the main street at the corner of the court, some laborers were repairing the gas pipes. They lit a great fire in a brazier, round which a party of ragged men and boys were gathered, warming their hands and winking their eyes before the blaze in rapture. The water plug being left in solitude, its overflowing suddenly congealed and turned into misanthropic ice. The brightness of the shops where holly sprigs and berries crackled in the lamp heat of the windows, made pale faces ruddy as they passed. Poulterers and grocer trades became a splendid joke, a glorious pageant with which it was next to impossible to believe that such dull principles as bargain and sale had anything to do. The Lord Mayor and the stronghold of the mighty mansion house gave orders to his fifty cooks and butlers to keep Christmas as a Lord Manor's household should, and even the little tailor, with whom he had fined five shillings on the previous Monday for being drunk and bloodthirsty in the streets, stirred up tomorrow's pudding in his garret, while his lean wife and the baby sailed out to buy the beef. Foggier yet and colder, piercing, searching, biting cold, if the good St. Dunstan had but nipped the evil spirit's nose with a touch of such weather as that, instead of using his familiar weapons, then indeed he would have roared to the lusty purpose. The owner of one scant young nose, gnawed and mumbled by the hungry cold, as bones are gnawed by dogs, stooped down at Scrooge's keyhole to regale him with a Christmas carol. But at first, the sound of God bless you, merry gentlemen, made nothing you dismay. Scrooge seized the ruler with such energy of action that the singer fled in terror, leaving the keyhole to the fog and even more congenial frost. At length, the hour of shutting up the counting house arrived. With an ill will, Scrooge dismounted from his stool, tactily admitted the fact to the expectant clerk in the tank, who instantly snuffed out his candle and put on his hat. You want all day tomorrow, I suppose, said Scrooge. If quite convenient, sir. It's not convenient, said Scrooge, and it's not fair. If I was to stop half a crown for it, you'd think yourself ill-used, I'll be bound. The clerk smiled faintly. And yet, 
said Scrooge. You don't think me ill-used when I pay a day's wages for no work. The clerk observed that it was only once a year. A poor excuse for picking a man's pocket every 25th of December, said Scrooge, buttoning his green coat to the chin. But I suppose you must have the whole day. You'll be here all the earlier the next morning. The clerk promised that he would, and Scrooge walked out with a growl. The office was closed in a twinkle, and the clerk, with the long ends of his white comforter dangling below his waist, for he boasted no great coat, went down a slide on Corn Hill at the end of a lane of boys twenty times in honor of it being Christmas Eve, and then ran to the home to Camden Town as hard as he could pelt to play blind man's bluff. And that's where we will leave it for tonight. <laughs> Ah, good start. What an amazing story. I love Dickens. And this Christmas Carol is the original classic. Amazing. So that's the first half of the first chapter. And we'll wrap that up on our next stream on Saturday night. The end, uh, second half of chapter one of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. Thank you, friends. Enjoy the rest of your work week. I will see you right back here on Saturday night, 10 o'clock Malaysian time. Don't forget, if you want to buy this show as an NFT, no pants at jsheldon.com. Get in touch if you know about this crypto thing. Could be a good commission in it for you. I'll sell the whole show, $5 million. Cheap at twice the price. <laughs> I'm Jay Sheldon. I'm not wearing pants. Good night. Yo.